for my own company, uh, I had been responsible for generating about 3,500 new uh, new clients over the years. And then with uh, with client companies in uh, in that industry, probably well over a million. And then now with with uh, financial advisors working with them on on all the same strategies. Some of the strategies are different. Some of them are more compliance constrained in one thing or another. But you know the the process you need to get in front of the right prospect to get their attention to get them to raise their hand to get to you know in front of them is the same pretty much regardless of what you're doing. You are listening to Wealthy Advisor Mindset Podcast, a show dedicated to helping financial advisors grow their AUM while enjoying a great quality of life by creating a high-performance mindset. Guiding you on this podcast is none other than Nina Cook, a seasoned mindset coach who has worked with hundreds of business owners over the last decade to dissolve all their self-sabotaging behaviors and habits to achieve their business goals so they can have a much bigger impact and make much more money. Throughout the show, we'll deliver actionable strategies to grow your practice more easily and quickly while revealing the incredible possibilities that emerge when you tap into your best self. Ready for a breakthrough that amplifies your impact and profits? Let's dive in. I've got a really, really great guest for you today. Stephen Oliver has helped business owners ranging from law firms to international consulting organizations, martial arts schools to wealth managers with grassroots marketing, sales, internet marketing, and organization management systems. He's written seven books on management and marketing and co-authored a book with marketing guru, Dan Kennedy. Stephen, a very, very warm welcome. It's such a pleasure to have you here. And I'm so excited to delve deep into the mindset of financial advisors with the amazing angle that you bring, helping them to market. So you know the challenges that they run into, you know, the the, the rabbit holes that get stuck down in terms yeah. of their thinking. So I really, really want to dig deep into all of that with you. But before we do that, I'd love to know you've had an amazing journey in terms of entrepreneurship. So could you just share the highlights of that so we can see how you've got to the place where you are today and that's given you this skill set and this deep expertise to help people with their marketing? Well, sure. And as you said, it was kind of a a strange path. You know, I I went to Georgetown University thinking I was going to get an MBA at Harvard or Wharton and end up in Wall Street. And in fact, uh, when I graduated Georgetown, interviewed with all the big Wall Street firms and was, was looking at the time, planning on the time, had thought for any number of years, I was going to be in the financial services industry, but I had worked my way through college running a martial arts school and ended up moving to Denver. And I opened uh, five schools in 18 months, six schools in 30 months, and ended up with uh, about 2,500 active uh, students or you know clients uh, by the time I was 25 years old and became very quickly such a high profile fixture in the Denver metropolitan area, we were doing infomercials, TV spots, the ma- two major daily papers that existed at the time, Rocky Mountain News, Denver Post, Constant Publicity, and so forth, that over the years, I just kept getting um, uh, approached by managing partners of law firms, financial advisors, real estate brokers, and so forth, you know, to help them and teach them what it was I, I was doing. And then probably uh, uh, 15 or so years into that, I was at a point where I had a huge staff. You know, and and by the way, they were spread in over Virginia, Colorado, and uh, and Florida. That I sought out a financial advisor 
specifically looking for deferred compensation for for executives and to you know create golden handcuffs for my people in one thing or another. And the guy I met was a top one tenth of one percent guy with Northwestern Mutual. And he and I not only worked together, we became friends. And then I started looking under the the covers of his business. And more or less 20 years ago now, I started working in the financial uh, services business and working with financial advisors on their marketing, you know, mostly behind the scenes until, you know, I, I launched the book. I mailed you a copy to you. You haven't got one yet, but I la- launched the book last year and, and really launched uh, working directly with a broader range of financial advisors a couple of years ago, right into COVID. And then, uh, you know, and then, and then uh, uh, went from there. But, you know, over the years, for my own company, uh, I had been responsible for generating about 3,500 new uh, new clients over the years, and then with uh, with client companies in uh, in that industry, probably well over a million, and then now with with uh, financial advisors working with them on on all the same strategies. Some of the strategies are different. Some of them are more compliance constrained to one thing or another. But you know the the process you need to get in front of the right prospect to get their attention to get them to raise their hand to get to you know in front of them is the same pretty much regardless of what you're doing. Absolutely, what a great route you've, you've done, and the, the experience and the expertise you picked up along the way. So you said something very very startling that you achieved huge success at a very young age. Yeah, tell me about your mindset to be able to achieve that sort of success? Did you have no fear? Were you flying by the seat of your pants? Were you really enjoying it? Were you full of fear? How, you know, what was going on inside your head while all of this was just blowing up around you? Well, you know, the the, the old quote of standing on the shoulders of giants, when I, when I worked my way through Georgetown, I was working for a multi-million dollar organization in Washington, D.C. The, the, the most successful in that niche probably in the world at the time, certainly in the in North America at the time. And it, it opened my eyes to what was possible. And 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 I and I remember I I interviewed with all the big Wall Street firms in New York and one thing or another and and pretty quickly recognized number one, I was making more money uh doing what I was already doing while a college student than they were offering. And number two is the opportunity to do it on my own as opposed to some big uh, uh, company was attractive. But a lot of it was just that is, is I was working within a multi-million dollar operation, multi-location operation. And the, um, the owner of that company was internationally famous. He, he, he was the official uh, martial arts instructor for Congress. He taught uh, everybody from Bruce Lee and Muhammad Ali to, you know, uh, Joe Biden, HW Bush, et cetera. So he, he, he was internationally known and, and, uh, and I had open access. I mean, he taught me everything that that uh, you know, every question I asked, he answered, and gave me access. So when I came to to Colorado, in part, it was because of that standing on shoulders of of giants, and in part, it was uh, just the fearlessness of not understanding the downside. So I came out here to replicate what they had done in twenty five years, and you know, in two or three years, and of course, that was fraught with peril. Um, and it was going right into as we all remember, the worst financial crisis uh, uh, since the Great Depression, uh, greatest real estate bust, round number one, that was in the United States when the SNL crisis and, you know, the famous figures like Neil Bush had, um, you know, been bailed out by the government. So so it, it was a fraught time, I, I must say as well. Incredible. So you said that you were with very, very successful people. You were surrounded by them, which goes to show that principle works, that who you surround yourself with. Yeah. It's very, very important because it changes your mindset. Yeah. What 
What did you learn from them about mindset that helped you with your success, with your rapid success? What did they teach you about, you know, having a successful mindset? Well, it's interesting. And, and you know, it, it's almost like that book by uh, uh, Kiyosaki, I think his name is, uh, The Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You know, the organization I came from, I was from Oklahoma, had the exact opposite mindset. They 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 viewed it as this is a hobby, it's not something you can make a make a living doing. And then I uh went out to the opposite, you know, opposite spectrum and found the exact opposite. And you know, if nothing else, I think it's uh it's the thing that I see financial advisors don't do is it's take massive action. If you do uh, uh what's the right way to say it? Uh, you know, impudent effort leads to impudent results, massive action leads to massive results. The the thing I saw that they were doing is just constantly and never endingly promoting the business. So promoting public relations. So, you know, Junri got international press by taking Muhammad Ali to uh, to uh, Korea. And uh, another time a congressman is assaulted on the street and suddenly he's teaching other congressmen. And another time an uh, ambassador was assaulted. Of course, Washington, D.C. at the time was the murder capital of the world. So it's, you know, or at least of North America. And uh, another time a, a ambassador was assaulted and he ended up with... Uh, you know, almost all the kids from all the ambassadors in Ambassador Row and ended up expanding into the former Soviet republics and so forth. But it was it was take massive action. But what one of the things that he was good at and the rest of the uh, hierarchy was good at is seeing opportunity when it existed and then jumping on it. Um, and I see so many times people just aren't good at seeing opportunity. It's in part that mindset. If you don't think there's opportunity, you're not going to see it. If you think there's massive opportunity, you can uh, you can see it and and take advantage of it. You've worked with a number of financial advisors. Yes, absolutely. What are you seeing as the biggest reasons in terms of mindset where they're not taking massive action? What stories are they telling themselves? How are they tripping themselves up? Well, I, I think and 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 you you had mentioned uh, um, offline a couple of other niches and you know, accountants and bookkeepers and lawyers and so forth. And I think whether it's a lawyer, a financial accountant, or a martial arts school owner, it's so easy to get caught up in the technical apparatus of your business and doing the activity that your clients are are paying you to do that you miss the point that your first highest priority is always be going out to the market, marketing yourself, expanding your exposure and finding more people, more new people coming in on the bus, right? And the, um, you know, advisors get lazy because this is an interesting study. I don't think I'm giving away any confidence. There was an internal study I was privy to, and they looked at at clients of financial advisors. And the numbers aren't going to be quite right, but more or less, 65 or 70 percent of clients of financial advisors were pretty unimpressed with their guy or gal didn't have great affection for their skills and their follow-up and mostly it was about communication and and perception of competency and at least a third of them at any one time were thinking about leaving now those numbers are interesting because every year year over year advisors have a very high retention rate of of clients uh, but then what they think is, and it's indoctrinated by the industry, is that all their new clients are going to come through referral. Well, if I can't remember my advisor's name, if I'm not particularly impressed with them, I'm not exactly evangelizing them around all of my family, friends, relatives, coworkers, and so forth, right? So there's a huge gap in advisor perception 
of how they're interacting with clients as, as evidenced by their turnover rate compared with the reality of how unimpressed their, their clients are to begin with. And what I think advisors do, and, and, and all specialties do that, lawyers think this, accountants think this, martial artists think this, they think that their technical expertise is going to lead to their client really likes them and really appreciates them. Well, for advisors, what they need to be doing is constantly communicating with clients, constantly uh, reminding them that they exist, showing them what their resources and capabilities are, giving them pass-along tools for their friends, giving them books, providing open webinars, open meetings. They need to be constantly communicating with their clients. And honestly, they need to do a lot more that's personality-based, that's personal, that's interactive uh, on a human level and way more, way less of sending them the technical document of, you know, here's how your investments have fared year over year. So I see, I see that as number one is advisors have a huge mismatch in how their clients perceive them versus how they think they're being perceived. And then they do very little to effectively communicate and stay in touch with, stay on top of, and, and to stay top of mind with their clients. I think number two is, and I, I I tell you know every every business owner I I work with to do this, is really what you should do is instead of showing up at the office, finding out what requests have come in, reading your email, doing all of that stuff, I always tell them take a blank legal pad, go to Starbucks, and start the first thirty minutes of the day with what can I do today to promote my business, you know what calls do I need to make, what activities do I need to do, is there some social media things I need to do, what what whatever it might be, but what can I do today? uh to market my business and and if you don't do that you can get to four or five six o'clock at, at the end of the day and you realize one you haven't done anything and two is you haven't even thought about it right you've just been reacting to appointments reacting to inbound calls reacting to emails reacting to text i think that's the most uh the most important thing if there's one simple thing take a blank legal pad turn off all the devices and just start every day with what can I do today? What can I do this week? What can I do this month to more aggressively promote my business? This is great, great stuff. Why do you think there is so much resistance to communicating with existing clients, ex-clients, marketing for new clients? What is it that is in their way? Because if you look at it, it seems fairly simple. You you show up as a human to your clients, you know, you you build a relationship with them, you're more likely to get referrals. So what is it? I mean, when it comes down to common sense, we say, well, it's logical that if you were to take these actions consistently, you would get a better result. But emotionally, they're not doing it. What yeah. is it, do you think, that's stopping them? Well, one of one of the uh, you know, the 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 great coaches I've worked with over the years, Dan Kennedy, and he he, he his terminology is marketing incest is in any in any field, everybody looks around at what everybody else is doing and just does what they do. In the worse than any field I've ever seen, and I think it it is it, possible to argue that attorneys or CPAs are maybe just as bad, but it, it, worse than any I've ever seen is number one, in the US anyway, there's there's one uh, one example that that most people could come up with, which is Fisher Investments that does very good direct response marketing all over the place. Everything from I'll have the TV on all day and I'll probably see five of their ads. I subscribe to the Wall Street Journal. I'll see their ads two or three times a week. Uh, anytime you go on LinkedIn or any other social media, you'll see their ads. But other than that, when they look around at what everybody else is doing, mostly nobody is doing anything. 
is they're relying on referrals. When they meet with somebody, they have some old canned line about the way I get compensated is, you know, you send me your 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 friends or or they just kind of have a an antiquated way of of approaching their their current clients for referrals. But when they look around their industry, they see very little examples. You know, if you look at financial advisors, you'll see examples of baiting people into the room with a filet mignon and then trying to pitch them on uh, retirement planning and then convert them, which, you know, it, it it works. Getting people in the room who are the right target audience and so forth is great. But the flip is I came to get a free steak dinner and now you're trying to convert me to services rather than me just trying to be there. Uh, excited to hear about your subject to begin with, without the, uh, you know, the the misdirect or referrals. They 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 look around and they see just such a limiting view of things. On the why they don't communicate with their clients, I think it goes deeper. I think they've been so cowed by uh, compliance that they end up thinking that much of what really would be effective is going to be a problem with compliance, although. Nothing that I ever tell them to do has anything to do with making representations about earnings, um, um, breaking any you know laws in the UK, US, anywhere else. All, all of it is about personal stories, and you know I went on a fishing trip, and this happened, and I you know it's all about that kind of stuff, right? It's about creating connection. It's about uh, personal connection. Our mutual friend Dave D. You know his formula is you know it's interesting, it's stories, and it's it's a connection. But very little of it is technical about the business. Very little of it is really anything that compliance would even want to, you know, care about, much less be concerned about. But they get they get frozen into inactivity, thinking that everything has to be run through, you know, five English teachers, four attorneys, and three compliance experts, rather than just make it personal. You know, obviously, we don't want them to get in trouble, run it through whoever. But there's nothing to object to. And there's a massive opportunity that's being missed here. Huge. Huge, massive opportunity. Are you frustrated with your inability to take the next steps to grow your practice and worry that your same old tired strategies don't seem to work any longer? If this is you, then listen up. Nina has spent the last two decades coaching financial advisors and has cracked the code to grow in AUMs, hitting bigger profits in your business and achieving a higher quality of life. You can now get access to those secrets in her game-changing book, Renegade Mindset. A Financial Advisor's Guide to a Peak Performance Mindset. In the book, Nina will share her proven process for success to take you from chasing clients to attracting high-paying ones by creating a success-driven mindset. So, if you're struggling with stagnation, then this could give you the breakthrough you've been searching for. This is different to anything you may have come across before. For being an awesome listener to this podcast, our team would like to gift you a free copy of the book, Renegade Mindset. A Financial Advisor's Guide to a Peak Performance Mindset. You can get your free copy at ninabook.org. You only have to pay for shipping and handling. Once again, the link to get a free copy of this book is ninabook.org. The link is also in the description. Don't miss out on this exclusive opportunity to grow your AUM and stop hustling for your next client. Now, back to the show. What do you think is the secret sauce that the more successful financial advisors have. What is it in terms of their their mindset that they have in place that's enabling them to take advantage of these opportunities, build reports, share their personality, go to a wider market and get more clients? You know, for, for advisors that are part of a bigger company, 
is so much of it in in a bigger company depends upon who you're hanging out with and who you're listening to, right? If you end up with the 90% that are going to fail and you're listening to what they're saying, you're going to end up as one of them. And and again, this is an industry where, you know, I, I, I would say the average company bringing in a new financial advisor fresh, and some of them are very good at recruiting out of college and so forth. They have a 90, 95%, you know, I was talking, Talking to somebody else in the industry uh, on my podcast just recently, and he said 100%. I said 95%. So you know, let 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 let's take it in that range. Most of them, uh, they never learn how to take massive action on marketing themselves. That so they end up with like the MLM industry. Who's your warm list? And, you know, let's go sell Aunt Martha and let's go get Aunt Martha's friends, rather than being proactive, figuring out who they want to target figuring out how to get in front of those people in mass. You know, my guys will end up at the, doc, you know, the convention of the doctors or the convention of the whoever it might be. But, you know, they'll go find 50 or 500 or 1,000 of them in mass rather than, you know, onesie, twosies, random, whoever they end up getting and then expanding from there in a haphazard way. COVID changed so much, didn't it? It was It was a real opportunity to pivot from you know, doing seminars and face-to-face selling to going online. And yeah. I know some financial advisors jumped at the opportunity and they did extremely well during COVID. They were doing webinars and finding all sorts of ways to market online. Yeah. And their re- they reach just was so much bigger than it ever been before. And they were very pleasantly surprised. So there is really a mindset issue, isn't it? It's whether I can transition into a new way of doing things without losing my business or whether that's just too scary to try something new, which is unproven, and therefore I've got to stay in the old way of doing things and hoping that business will pick up and we could just go back to the old way of doing it. Yeah, and and, and I I think there's a couple of elements for why some of them didn't adapt that way. Uh, Obviously, in, in, in the US anyway, the vast majority of successful advisors, and I'm not talking about the, you know, in, in absolute count, but the vast majority of all of the assets under management are 50 to 60 year olds who have been in the industry of, you know, a considerable period of time. And they're the same people, by the way, who are fleeing all the big companies and going independent and in in uh, mass for a number of reasons. But within those groups, oftentimes they have this this image of all my clients have to be within five mile radius, 10 mile radius. They all have to be in my town. I only can meet with them face to face in order for them to feel comfortable. And and they had a hard time adapting to number one, in the US, most of them can sell anywhere in the United States with fill out a few forms or anywhere in North America. And so they, they missed the point that they can expand their geographic reach dramatically. And a lot of the advisors who are in the, you know, 500 million to, you know, 2 billion assets under management range, they're not, they're not trying to find people in their neighborhood. They're trying to find people in a, a focused target audience and be the specialized expert for those people. And that implies going to a broader geography and a narrow, narrower focus, right? So a lot of them were hesitant to do that. They, they, they think that, well, people will drive down to that steakhouse, but will they come online? And and then the problem with marketing online is it's much easier to niche focus and broaden geography. So they miss that point altogether. Which is such a shame because they're leaving money on the table and someone else is going to come along and and snap up those clients. Well, you know, I, I, I can give you a good example of that leaving money on the table. 
is when when people who are very sharp at running webinars promote a webinar, promote an event online, what they know is that the value is in the registration, not so much in the person showing up for the webinar. As 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 we all know, doing a lot of webinars, once somebody registers, I know they've raised their hand. And whether they show up or not, I'm not going to wait. And what I see advisors do, whether it's a live take dinner, a live in-person meeting, or or a, a webinar, they discard everybody who registers and doesn't show up. And then when people show up, they ask them to raise their hand and schedule an appointment with, with if they want to. And then most of the times they even discard the ones that don't make an appointment and just focus on the the low-hanging fruit of the people who make an appointment right away. Well, you know, I'm sure you would, I would. Uh, I'm I'm most interested in, I got them to raise their hand, they filled out the form and registered. Now we're going to get them the information, we're going to follow up, we're going to qualify them, we're going to move them to appointment if 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 they're ready. Same thing with a live event, right? If the guy has a, uh, or gal has a blowout on the way to the uh, the meeting, or just happened to be in a foul mood that day for some reason, I'm not going to discard them. I'm going to make sure that I'm following up, moving them through my process. But even there, uh, on a webinar, it might be 70% of the people who register are good prospects that we ignore. Might be more. With a uh, with a live meeting, it might be uh, 10 or 20% of them because the show rate tends to be higher. But uh, but still, it's it's people that we could get to earlier and, and have much more success with. That's a great top tip. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you. I'd love to know, when you have a setback, how do you get past it? How do you bounce out of it? Because we, we you know, things don't always go to plan. We know that, and life is full of, you know, curveballs, which makes it so interesting. So, so, what's your strategy for getting past those times? Yeah, you know, in 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 my first book, it's called "Everything I Wish I Knew When I Was 22. We just uh, <laughs> well, great title. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you. And, and we we just uh, updated it uh, recently. But um, uh, one of the things I talk about is being, you know, I I, I did the multi-million dollar company by the time I was 25. And the rest of the story is about the time I was 29, I was chapter seven, chapter 11 and and divorced in the middle of the financial crisis going on. I tell the story about making the comeback from that. And so my business and, you know, in today's terms, it was doing, uh, let's, let's say 3.8 million um, at, at that time and then dropped um, in one year by about 30%. And part of it with with me was, you know, I had just sold the dream house in the middle of the divorce and all the stuff. And you can imagine all the emotions that go with it. And I I sat down and, and did some goal setting. And, you know, one, my goal was to be back to, you know, in, in, in those dollars, be back up about 30%, which seemed like a Herculean effort at the time. Um, and so I went through and, and I wasn't going to have the house back. I wasn't going to have you know, the the dream car or whatever. But I went down and uh, put a Rolex presidential and layaway at the um, local jewelry store. And and the uh, uh, point was I could get the watch out if we hit our target goal by the end of the year. And so target that I had for the year, we hit by November 1st. So I went and got the watch. I'm not wearing it today. It was a a, a gold presidential, you know, which today's terms about $35,000 watch. And it's not the fact that it's a stupid, ridiculous way to spend money, a stupid, ridiculous bobble, something that makes no you know, logical sense whatsoever, but it was just something that could kind of prove to me that I was back. And then over the years, anytime I was kind of feeling broke, I would wear that watch. 
And it was a reminder. I could look down and say, oh, well, I came back from the rubble, you know, <laughs> once before I can do it again. Uh, it, 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 it's kind of a silly story, but it's a, it was a useful tool to drive that activity, right? And, and I think a lot of times when you, when you hit a, a stumbling point, what happens is the future suddenly looks bleak. You know, we could use the old NLP terminology for how your mind works. But I think the reality is you don't see a bright future. You see a dim future. And oftentimes what happens is you end up in just trying to survive, trying to make incremental growth rather than setting wild, crazy, exciting goals. I stole from Tony Robbins. He said, people don't have, people don't experience burnout. They just have impudent goals. And I think that's a good way to think about it is, is, in fact, I wrote down a great quote here the other day. I was listening to a live stream with Elon Musk and he said, you either grow or you collapse, there is no status. I thought that was a good That's one. That's very good, heard, yes. I've always said there yeah. is no plateau, right? Yeah. Uh, you're either on a slow and steady decline, uh, there'll soon be a rapid decline, or you're you're growing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And because we're always moving one direction or another. I think that's absolutely brilliant. So what you did, you anchored your good feeling, your motivation, yeah. your goal to that watch. And yeah, every time yeah. you looked at the watch, you know, it, it just brought you back into that exactly. good place again. Exactly. That's a really great way of doing it. And what's uh, if you were to look back at your life so far, what would you say is the biggest lesson that life has taught you? Oh, that's interesting. It's hard to come up with something uh, pithy, I guess. Um, you know, I, I uh, go back to my martial arts roots, and uh, you know, I, I've I've kind of thought of my business like a um, I've been you know in in business forty years now, so I kind of think it like it's a forty round fight, right? I had a uh, you know a couple of rounds where I got knocked down, a couple of rounds where I lost, and a whole bunch of rounds that I that I won, oftentimes with you know knockouts or knockdowns. And in any particular month, year, you're going to have good times, you're going to have bad times, but it's the it's the overall arch of the um, of the process that really is what's important, right? And so I I think that was you know to me a good metaphor for well okay that wasn't a good round, but next round will be better. You know, overall, you know, on 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 financial goals, and oftentimes when you're younger, you're 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 striving for the house, the car, the the one thing or another. The 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 thing about all those goals is they're really they're really wonderful goals to set as aspiration. And then once you've got them, they you know they don't have much power anymore, right? So the the thing to always keep in mind if you don't have something further out there, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's accumulation or whether it's acquisition or what whatever it might be if there's not something that's always out there driving you you know the worst thing to do is 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 to attain whatever it was you were shooting for without having several things on beyond in the martial arts side what we were finding is you know kids would get their first degree black belt and then drop out just kind of like people graduating from high school and stopping to learn and what we what we figured out very rapidly is the worst thing to do is for them to have what seemed like a high goal and get it so we always have to have the goal of second, third degree, fourth degree, you know, be the, exactly. the local champion, the national champion, yes. and to keep setting those higher, further out uh, objectives uh, so that you don't end up with that disappointment. I, I read a study that, uh, uh, in fact, there was a great quote. This is a, a a different story, but it was a Nobel Prize winner. And somebody asked him, well, for God's sake, what do you do when you win the Nobel Prize in your field? And he said, well, I've changed fields, of course. And uh uh, but the study I read was of of the Apollo astronauts, and what, once they came back from the moon, many of them went into depression. Well, 
you know, <laughs> what's next, right? I, I, I just went to the moon. What's my what's my next? Goal? What do you aim for after that? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, I think that's that's one of the the most important things in, in business, anyway, is to keep aiming for and shooting keep for a, a higher yeah. level goal. Yeah, yeah. Dream big. We don't we don't dream big enough because we're scared to. We think you would know, we've grown up with the old condition thinking of well you know you can only have so much in life life is stacked against you don't expect too much you'll only be disappointed we grew up hearing those messages and then we think well that's the truth i don't want disappointment i want to just make sure i rein it in and then i could be quite satisfied with life but it leads to a, a life of mediocrity and yeah. disappointment yeah and you know when we look back we think well maybe i could have gone for it What's yeah. the worst thing that could have happened? So that's a really great message to end on. And thank you so much. It's been fascinating talking to you and hearing all about, you know, your experiences and the value that you've been able to share. How can our listeners find out more about you and the fantastic work you're doing? Uh, advisorwealthmastery.com uh, is our website. And uh, we'd love to gift them a free copy of, of my uh, latest book. We're getting ready to do a a new little series, but this is the latest one that's been published. Um, Extraordinary Marketing for Financial Advisors. They can go to my site, get it for free. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere else, but uh, uh, probably the website would be the easiest. Fantastic. I'd encourage everyone who's listening and watching to go along and grab a copy of that free book because it's fantastic reading and you're going to learn so much from it. Thank you so much for being with us. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Nina. It was a joy. Bye-bye for now. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Wealthy Advisor Mindset. Make sure to hit subscribe on your chosen platform to get notifications on upcoming episodes. If this episode made you think of someone who you think would benefit from listening to it, then go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with your friends and colleagues. You can catch the show notes for this episode and any mentioned links in the description. If you're a financial advisor who is struggling to grow your AUM and profits while creating a great work-life balance and you know it's because your mindset is stopping you or you have a specific challenge in mind that you would love Nina's feedback on, go to chatswithnina.org and grab a time that works best for you. We'd love to see if we can help you. Once again, it's chatswithnina.org. We will see you in the next episode.